My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you are not on our private subscriber feed, and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full-length episode, you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access. From there, you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter, the weekly pour-over, our private members-only Discord community, and any other subscriber-only content. So if you enjoy what we are doing here, please consider becoming a member. I'm going to see Brendan Urie in person tomorrow. Oh, really? Are you going to a concert or something? Yeah, Panic at the Disco, baby. Man, that came up quick. I didn't realize that that was happening tomorrow. That's very exciting. Is it uh? <laughs> I, I was going to ask you where the concert is because I had a funny question to ask, but I don't want to give away too much. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, it's at the United Center. Oh, okay. Place. Okay. Ask me about this after the podcast because I, I had a funny story for you. Oh, I thought it was going to be about the local concert venue. By Yeah, now. it is. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> we don't give, give away where that is. Um, but yeah, I, have, I grew up with a local concert venue by me that is the only reason this place is popular, um, which is just hilarious in my opinion. I, I, everyone knows about that when they hear about my town. And I'm like, cornfields in that. That's so random. Yeah, I just learned very recently that that was there. But um, I mean, NC went, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're on the same way. We're always on the same way, I think. Um, yeah, no, I'm going tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Uh, I haven't seen Brendan. It's like I know the guy. I haven't seen Panic at the Disco in <laughs> three years. It's the last time I went to a concert. That makes sense. Two years for the pandemic and, you know, just a healthy amount of time away from a concert one year. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, I think, what did I go for? I went for their last tour. Like, uh, okay okay like when they remember i studied abroad in rome my junior year or no going into my junior year and that fall they had a concert just like how they're doing now like they came out an album in the summer and then that fall they came to chicago and went at the united center too that's that's pretty i'm i'm pretty stoked about it i he's hilarious on stage he performs really well he did a back he does a backflip every time he performs. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> His back is like got to be jacked though, because if you do if you do that many concert performances, it's pretty. I mean, think about how many concerts that guy's performed in his life. That's what I was just thinking about, like the the amount of, I don't know, just I don't even know what the word is, pounding that your back takes from all those backflips. That's got to be miserable. Yeah, it's it's very it's adjacent to like a uh what's the name of those uh, paratroopers who like land? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just landing every time and he kinda you know, says something under his breath like, ah man. <laughs> and then the show he goes points on. It out. He's been pointing it out since six years ago when I went to the death of a bachelor tour. He's like he does a backflip and then he goes, I am getting too old for the Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, I mean, Brendan, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can stop. I mean, don't when I'm here, like all the other shows stop, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see when he gets yeah. to like Guns N' Roses age and see if he can go up there and do a backflip like in his 60s. He's only 31 or two. He's 32, 33, and it's starting to hit me that like he's getting older because yeah, like that's, he's getting close to the point where it's like, oh, he's going to be an old artist. Isn't that crazy? Like some of our favorite artists are getting a little like mid-age now as we are getting older with them, growing with them for about a decade now. I'm just, I'm going to be upset. Anyways, on a lighter note, there's nothing like going to the grocery (laughs) store early in the morning. That's how I started my day. And I've done that the past couple weeks recently. And so that's, that's my recent update is that I've been, uh, been waking up and going to the grocery store. I, I finally found a grocery store that's like open at 6 a.m. or earlier because the ones around me aren't, especially Target. They don't wake up. They're, they're not open till like nine. Like it's seriously kind of uh, a late hour. Um, uh, 
But no, it's so peaceful being in a grocery store when no one's there in the morning. Everyone says Where you- good morning to you and all that. Where have you been going at that hour? Mariano's. Uh, Maron. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Um, okay. That's cool. I, 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 Maybe this is a hot take. I get up early. Uh, I think anything that you do prior to the rest of the world being up is oddly satisfying. Oh, it's sacred. Yeah. I was actually talking about this the other day because I was like, I love running in the morning. I love that I've been able to do that. But then the days I don't run in the morning and I'm doing work, I love doing that. And it's like, I'd rather do all those things in the morning and nothing in the afternoon. But of course... And then you realize that time doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. Time is linear and I can only do one of those things every day. And so... That's so tough, but um, no, but I'm glad I'm getting into the 6 a.m. grind. I mean, it's just the default state now. It doesn't even feel like the grind. Um, I'm sure you know how that is, but um, it's been rewarding. I feel like I'm on top of my stuff with law school and getting my groceries. Yeah, I heard from some of your uh, law school colleagues that you're actually probably the most put together person <laughs> at Loyola. Law school. Maybe not that far. Maybe not that far. There's still some some kings and queens in, in my class that are above me. But um, I've, yeah, people come up to me and they're like, "Yeah, you're like 28. Like, yeah, you seem like you have your stuff together." And I'm like, "No, 23." Mm. I, I mean, you know what? Poor power to you. I mean, if you're gonna be treated like that, just you could have rolled with it. Like, I started to. I mean, you remember when your your partner made a joke, or not a joke? I think she was being serious that I'm like a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've like turned it into a meme with some people. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, you, you know that song by uh, the, what's it called? Three Days Grace. Uh, I am machine. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just my theme song. I mean, I'm I'm a robot. I don't I don't feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, mean, I I should embody it more, and I think I kind of will. Like, I kind of have some dad energy around my my law school friends now. But um, I mean. Anytime I give advice regarding like what people should do or like whether I'm like talking to someone on a personal level and they're like, it's like, hear me out. Like, I'm not trying to criticize you. This is just coming from me being a self-help POS. And then it hedges everything. And I'm like, does that soften the blow? I hope so. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I just love doing it because it's like, listen. I really think you should do, and by the way, I'm hedging. I'm a self-help POS, so like this is where the frame of mind is. Doesn't mean I'm better than you. I'm just telling you how you should live your life. <laughs> kind of does mean I'm better than you, but you know, I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you advice here. <laughs> this, you want my opinion? This is my opinion. Get up at four. <laughs> Get up at four. Work. Spend all your time working. You have no time to reflect. You won't be thinking badly about anything. If you, if you get to the point where all you think about is work then you can't think about any negative emotions. Exactly. And and then you're just going to be fine. And if you love what you're doing, I mean, basically you love what you're doing all the time. <laughs> wow, we just gave away the uh, the ultimate secret here at Rise Productive. Just turn off the podcast, everyone. It's over. <laughs> Speaking of fixing um, addictions to things, we're going to talk about addicting things. Ooh. And... Oh, in the episode that we're talking about goodbye things by, I'm forgetting how to pronounce his name, Fumio Sasaki. Yeah. Uh, and it is a Japanese author who talks through his journey of, of how he got through uh, struggling with too many things and finding minimalism. It's really cool. Um, it, the full title of the book is Goodbye Things, The New Japanese Minimalism. And quote of the week, for those enthusiasts of you out there, is why do we own so many things when we don't need them? What is their purpose? I think the answer is quite clear. We're desperate to convey our own worth, our own value to others. We use objects to tell people just how valuable we are. Boom. Yeah, this was a nice quote because I think it kind of rang true throughout his story. Yeah, this is a nice quote. <laughs> <laughs> It is a good quote. It's a good quote because I think it particularly was true in his story where he talks about all the books that he owned, the like he had like a guitar that he was like hoping to play, but kind of just 
had as a decoration to kind of put up this facade that he played the guitar. And same thing with the books, you know, he didn't read all the books as he just wanted to look knowledgeable. He had, there was something to do with like cooking, I think, where he wanted to like make it known that he was like a great chef, but actually wasn't. And essentially he just owns all these things and they're taking up this mental baggage because not only is it, you know, all like, look at me, I'm like, I'm just a poser. Like I haven't, like, I'm not actually any of these things that my things, you know, portray that I am, but there's also this part of it. It's like, why am I not using these things? Why are they gathering dust? I'm such a, you know, piece of ass. And so it, it carries more than just the physical baggage. And I think that that really connected nicely with his other issues of like alcoholism, like incredible loneliness. And um, I'm, I really enjoyed how he framed minimalism as not just a problem for that, but kind of a way that he climbed himself out of a much more real and dark hole. Yeah. And he talks at the beginning of this book about how he doesn't want to, he wants to hedge and say, I know it's going to come off like minimalism is this esoteric godlike thing that happened to me based on how my story is. Maybe it's an extreme story, but I think it's good to articulate what happened. And then he really breaks down how much minimalism saved his life from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, I had a video titled a couple years ago called How Minimalism Saved My Life um, or How Matt Diavella Saved My Life. And I don't think I often give enough credit to finding that fixing a lot of things in my life. And it was just like a mindset shift that trickled down into a lot of different things. I genuinely believe finding minimalism fixed my gaming addiction. Uh, from in one whatever day it went, it whoa, in whatever way it did. And for him, he goes through a lot in this book and articulates his day to day. And what's really interesting is the way that he portrays so well is a cluttered life versus a decluttered life. And he articulates this very well by talking about his routine before he would get to work and then how he would come back after work, talking about the little things of picking up the crumpled shirt in the dryer, laying on the couch, drinking a beer, then going out and getting a six pack and and then getting hammered at night while he was at home and then repeating the cycle over and over again. And how getting rid of things made him completely change his daily routine. I really thought that that was the most powerful part of this book and hooks you into believing, okay, maybe minimalism is like good for other things than just getting rid of your stuff. Yeah, there's a a nice quote that he has in the book that says that people wait for their lives to settle down to start becoming a minimalist, but it's the other way around. Start decluttering, life starts settling down. And Mm. I thought that was really nice because it kind of shows you like the two paths. Like I almost think of this as like, um, like two different ways that life can take you. And in the one way life is just moving so fast, there's all these things happening between your job and feeling the need to keep up with just the complexities of adulthood. And there's ways you can cope with that, that don't slow you down. That just keep speeding you up. You give into a lot of consumerism, you buy things, you get caught in some kind of trap like alcoholism or some other kind of addiction, gaming addiction, you know, betting addictions. Um, but he turns himself around and he decides to go on the other path, which is life moves fast, but I can come home and really slow things down. And when I slow myself yeah. down at home, it can branch out into all other parts of my life where not only am I you know, really at peace at home with the minimal amount of things that I have. I'm no longer, you know, drinking. And so I feel like I come with a little more sense of peace at work and out with friends. He's not worried about like his social circle anymore or entertaining people. Bless you. Thank you. Because he's getting rid of his things and he's kind of offloaded a lot of those responsibilities away from him. Like there's even the part where he talks about, um, I thought this was like a really interesting minimalist solution is that he was always 
infatuated, but also stressed about the idea of having like a, like a hot pot dinner with all of his friends at his place and hosting it. Yeah. And he's like, I don't ever do that. It, it never comes true, partially mm. because I'm just moving too fast and too stressed about the idea of doing that along with doing all the other things. He's like, why don't I just get rid of it and just get me and my friends to come together at some restaurant that serves a hot pot and then I can yeah. invite them back to my place for a drink if they want. But, you know, otherwise, who cares? Like, you know, I got the thing done. That's what's most important. Yeah. And what really stroke home with or strike home with me was, and this comes from a little bit of an Alex Hormoseyism who, if you guys are long times fans of the podcast, you get that I go through phases. And if you know me personally, you get that I go through phases and current phase is business phase and big fanboy of business guy. So there was something he said that was actually pretty philosophical. And I think I like him a lot because he's one of the few business people on YouTube that has philosophical statements sprinkled out in there. And one of his main points that he talks about is belief statements and limiting belief statements. And what you just talked about where people said, once you have life settled down, then you can declutter is a limiting belief statement. I fundamentally believe, and once again, this is a belief statement, that the reason that a lot of the times I end up doing things that are against the grain is because I have the fundamental belief that I do not want to conform to the general population's actions due to what I found with minimalism. And I think one of the one of the main things that people do not appropriate or not do sorry do not associate with things like minimalism is the belief statements that therefore come from all of the isms of minimalism. The belief statement comes from minimalism that you do not need things to be happy. The belief statement comes from minimalism that you do not need to conform to society to be happy. Now, what do, what do we know from a scientific standpoint? We know that the general rates of depression and suicide are up. We know that things do not need or are not what make us happy from a tangible perspective. We know scientifically it's more experienced. So what we find with minimalism is two belief statements that lead to more happiness and lead to a better view on the world. And that's why I actually think minimalism is so impactful. It's because the belief statements that are essential to practicing minimalism improve happiness. Yeah, it's true. And I think that you also create belief statements from minimalism that expand beyond just the simple notion of mm. not having a lot of things. Like mm. he gets later into the book about how you don't need a ton of friends. Like you can just have mm. a few really solid friends and focus your time towards those things. Just like you <clears throat> kind of focus your time towards the few things that you have and love and you'll be way more fulfilled. He talks about living in like a smaller house. And I always talk about the Epicurean idea of, you know, having less windows to wash because you're in the mm. smaller house versus the big house that you think would bring you so much happiness, but it turns out it actually brings you a lot more stress. And so this kind of expands into all parts of your life when you start with that initial belief statement that I don't need all these things. Let me start thinking about how I want to live my life against the grain of society. The contrarian viewpoint, totally agree. The contrarian viewpoint against society oftentimes brings substantial happiness if you also have a lot of the thought process that is minimalism. When it comes to, I want to go against the grain because this will make me happier. I think, I think a lot of the things and beliefs just kind of cascade into something that makes people feel better. Like, for example, there's a lot of framing that you just did in your, in your verbiage about and, and what people do in their minds. It's like, I don't need a bigger house. What does that do? That gives you increased financial security. Obviously, subliminally, that's going to make you happier. You don't need as many friends. Obviously, you're going to feel less insecure when you're at a party and you're only talking to like one person the whole time. All of these different minor things that come from the basis of minimalism, I think just lead to increased happiness for, for reasons people don't think about. Like when I tried 
my former, uh, I dated a girl for like two years in college, right? I found minimalism halfway through. It was a whole thing. She was like, I don't get why you're getting rid of all this stuff. I'm like, I feel so much better. She's like, I like these things. I'm like, you will not like these things when you get rid of them. Like, you'll just feel better. And there was this different set of beliefs that was there. And this dissonance didn't cause maybe relationship friction, but caused conversational friction pretty often. And it was kind of like frustrating for somebody to not get it, but now I can articulate it better. The belief statements and the feelings that come from those belief statements when you become a minimalist or practice minimalism, it's just a reframe of your mind that's more positive. Yeah, exactly. It's more positive and I think maybe more specifically just like lighter, more at peace. Like it's... um, When I was... um. Up in Minnesota on a trip, we went back to uh, BB's old house or you know, the house he grew up in and him and his older sister both don't live there anymore. And so the rooms are pretty empty. And we walked into his room and we walked in and it was just like a bed on the ground. There was no decorations on the walls. There's nothing in the room. And one of our, one of our buddies walks in. He's like, it's so peaceful in here. I just want to sleep in here because it's like, I'm so at peace. There's nothing in here that like is disturbing me or like. Like, I'm just going to sleep so soundly in here. And we even, when even when he came back, he started getting rid of a bunch of stuff and went on like a little bit of a decluttering session because he was like, yeah, like I'm so at peace when I see less things. And it's like, yeah. It, Who was this? This was uh, M.A. Okay. Yeah. And so he just, um, he, he was like in love with the amount of stillness that he found sleeping in that room that just had nothing there was nothing to stimulate you or worry you i mean physically or mentally you're not walking around stuff you know picking stuff up and he came back and he actually just went on like a little decluttering spree himself because he kind of experienced that moment of stillness and he said yeah i want more of that give me that and i think when you live in a permanent state of that it can be kind of hard to explain to people who don't live in that state due to all the stimulus of a capitalist society and yeah there's just like a huge dissonance there a huge disconnect i i feel like i'm not fully entrenched into the minimalism stick but i will say a this book got me more into it and b it's different hashtag built different hashtag minimalism hashtag drink some water um, God, my voice is miserable i don't know what's happening you just feel dry right now um one of my favorite quotes from this comes from his alcoholism uh, uh, references and how I believe he said something along the lines of alcohol doesn't make you happy. It is a temporary avoidance and distraction from your lack of happiness. And I'm like, when he said that, I went, yeah, now I get why I don't drink. Because uh, I think I'd rather be happy in the here and now than drink and feel. And obviously I'm not, listen, everyone drinks. I'm not going to, or not everyone, but the majority of human beings drink alcohol. So I'm not going to crap on the entirety of existence and say all of you are avoiding your problems. Like you can have a fun time every once in a while. Let's not mince words here. But like, I thought that was so interesting because he had gotten away from it and he had really, he had really, well articulated his issue and how he feels better now but he also did something that i thought was interesting which you can parallel that with consumerism what he said about alcoholism things don't buy you happiness they're a temporary reprieve from your lack of happiness oh absolutely i mean think about like the the clothes example that he gives where he's like every piece of clothing i owned i probably loved wearing at some point like i probably fell in love with each shirt and pair of pants that I own when I bought it in the first few times I wore it. But why do these shirts no longer give me that same satisfaction anymore? Why do I not feel something, you know, that same great feeling when I put it on the 10th time? Because it gets old. Like the the, the feeling is temporary. And when you wake up and re-enter your sober state, when you come out of this consumer intoxication you realize that you're in the same life situation and that shirt that glass of alcohol couldn't take you away from it it's really true there's a lot of people who struggle with 
distraction over reflection. Tweet that podcast, Sean. People <laughs> often distract rather than reflect. I'll say it one more time. People distract rather than reflect. And I think this is one of the most unhealthy isms of the modern consumer economy and general thing, uh, general culture from a Western society perspective. Even Eastern society does a really bad job of that too. I mean, I think Eastern society is really good when it comes to a lot of the spiritual side of things. However, this is ad hoc. Sorry, not ad hoc. This is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is, I'm, uh, I'm saying something from not a source of truth, like stats, but more of a anecdotal. This is anecdotal evidence, but I've dealt with a lot of people recently from Eastern countries who have said that their countries have lost their spiritualism and have gotten more Western. And there's countries like Japan and South Korea who suffer from, you think I'm a workaholic? The work, the work week in South Korea is 55 to 60 hours a week. Like their government work week. So they recently just got it down to 50 and I'm like, what? And I think that's a form of distraction as well. The, the, The only thing that's been good recently that I've seen is like, this work-life balance uh, sort of kick that America's tried to peddle recently has been pretty good. Now, I do want to hedge and say another hormoseism <laughs> is oftentimes we actually do have people who genuinely enjoy their work so much that like them working 10-hour days is okay. Like that's not act like 50 hours a week for something you really like doing is that insane. I think sometimes when people are like, oh, you work too much. Like, for example, this guy runs his own business, right? He works 10-hour, 11-hour days, and then that's it. But he loves it. I'm like, yeah, so, like, he's with a wife who really likes it. His wife's his co-owner. I'm not going to say this guy has a problem. Why? Because he's, and he's very aware about it. He's like, no, I love it. I mean, it's, why would I do anything else? And that's different than somebody working a lot to avoid their problems at home or to, you know what I mean? And the, the same, the same can become with work. It can become with buying things. You've seen so shows like hoarders. You've seen people be hoarders and not even admit that they're hoarders. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where most people are at actually is that most people aren't like true hoarders. They just have like a lot of stuff, but they're like, no, I'm not a hoarder. You know, like this is a normal amount of stuff, but it's like, no, it's an absurd amount of stuff. If you think about how most people throughout humanity have lived their lives. But yeah, the thing with um Hermosi, I actually did listen to that podcast, the uh mm. the the coffee hour or something, the Graham Stephan podcast. Hour. Yeah. Um really solid podcast. I like Alex Hormozzi. I gotta look more into him too. Um I think he is an exception to the rule because he is so self realized. He's not living a, a you know traditional lifestyle like you said where he has a disconnect between his work and his home situation like they're kind of yeah the same thing um by getting back to the idea of reflection i think that this book really stuck with me because it does something that most minimalism content doesn't do and it talks about the ways that you will reflect and think differently more than just the physical, I, I think a lot of minimalism gets very materialist and okay, part yeah. of me, I don't really care about that as much. Like with the, the minimalists, I think they're great. I think they have a lot of good actionable items, but they spend a lot of time just talking about action items. They're just like, yeah, like, you know, if you like don't wear clothes for a year, throw them out, like do like the seasonality trick or, you know, like the 30 day trick or like all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. But also, like, you can just throw your stuff out. <laughs> like, I think hmm. people can be pretty real with themselves sometimes. Like, if you're not in a true state of delusion, you can just realize, yeah, I probably don't need this 10th hoodie. Let me throw it out. Yeah. But what I like about this is that he's just peeling back a layer and kind of making you really look at some of these hard facts. Like, he has this other quote. That he says that happiness doesn't have a direct relationship to monetary value. You won't be five times happier from a $500 ring versus the joy you'll feel from a $100 ring. And there's this other thing about how Bill Gates 
can't eat six meals a day and be twice as happy as someone who eats three meals a day. Even mm. though he's Bill Gates and he has all the money in the world to have really gourmet meals. Mm. It's just kind of peeling back the absurdity of consumerism a little bit more than I've seen in the past. And it really just makes you, I think that in itself will spark a lot more action than just straight up telling people like, yeah, if you mean, if you, if, if it's fall and you didn't wear your, you know, your flannels, why don't you just throw out your flannels? Cause you only wear your fall, your flannels in the fall. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, it's stuff like that where it's like, look at how ridiculous some of the things you're doing with your stuff are. I think that's what really impacted me. You know what? I really think is good about this book. It does a great job of earning your, uh, his, uh, he does a great job of earning his authority and earning minimalism's authority to the, to the listener and or to the reader. The main issue that has happened with the minimalists in the last five years is that they assume their authority for the subject that the majority of the time they're creating content about the subject. Therefore, new listeners are not as open to it. This guy, this guy ripped himself a new one to start this book out. Like I was a degenerate and the minimalists frame the success story before the success from minimalism has been articulated in a lot of their new content. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. I think this is the same reason that people like artists from their city is because you want something that feels relatable. It's like, oh, like Machine Gun Kelly was just another guy from Cleveland. Kid Cuddy was just another kid from Shaker Heights High School. Not too far from where I live. And it's like, oh, wow, I can imagine myself like getting to that level of fame. You know, it's kind of a illusion that we play with ourselves but i think it's much more actionable than just saying like kid cuddy sitting over here like yeah you know i just started making music one day <laughs> it's like and i think what does that do and the minimalists do talk about their story but i'm going to try to say this in the nicest way possible joshua field and milburn needs to talk less if they want to retain their audience snaps i mean ryan nicodemus is the much more humble of the two and is much more relatable of the two. Now, granted, I don't want to be a jerk here, but like Josh just comes off a little cocky now. And it it's like, I don't want to ever get to that point. And I know I probably will. So I get it. Like Ali Abdal's gotten to that point too. Like a lot of these people get to that point. It's like, you're not pushing forward minimalism as much as you could be if you just took a, took a slice of humble pie every once in a while. Like, bro, we get it. You make like a decent amount of money and you don't have a lot of things, but as much as he says the phrase, I'm not better because I have less items than you, it does not come off to the consumer that he means it. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I think there's a level of sarcasm actually in that statement. Everyone sees it that way, regardless of whether I'm, I'm correct on the statement of he thinks he's better. I do not actually think he thinks he's better. I'm trying to be given the benefit of the doubt. The main issue here is perception. Mm-hmm. And the perception that you have, that I have, that everyone has first glance when you listen to or read any minimalist content is a better than thou sort of vibe. And it sucks because those two dudes started from nothing and seemed like such more humble characters when they started them, their, their careers. And this book hit you, I think, because he didn't come at it with a holier than thou. He was like, bro, I was an alcoholic. And, not and only, I don't make a lot of money now. I just don't have things and I'm happier. Yeah. And I think that the other thing, I really like the holier than thou part. I think that that is actually a really good point that I probably didn't even think about as something that, you know, deterred me away from the minimalists. But I think the other thing is that he's not fully realized like he Sasuke realizes that he still has more to go and he's like his version of minimalism isn't exactly what everyone would want to do like he's talking about how he's like he he doesn't have the space to host people for an event and like he still doesn't have a family or like a wife like he he kind of generally lives a lonely life but he kind of likes it too because 
He can go to coffee shops or restaurants if he wants to meet up with friends. He sees people out on the streets. He talked about how he was in like a crowded bus and he just felt a little bit of a sense of community there. He was like grateful that I'm not in an apocalypse where I'm not the only person here. At least I still have people in society around me. And so he frames it in a way where he's like, yes, I live this life and I really like it, but it's not perfect. Like I'm not, you know, the, 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 this is what I love doing, but there's also a part of it to me that's like, yeah, you know, like I'm glad you're doing it that way. But as he says, everyone has their own version of minimalism and you don't need to judge how many things someone has compared to you or judge you know, someone else as a minimalist just because you can fit all your stuff into like a shoebox. And you know what? I, I, I'm giving the minimalist credit here. They say it. I only believe it when it comes out of Ryan Nicodemus's mouth. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what it is. No, I mean, Joshua Fields Melbourne, he is so preachy. He just comes off very preachy. He's, I don't know if it's his tonality or what, but there's just something about it that's like, yeah, greater than thou. I've got it all figured out. Like, I've been a minimalist since the womb, and I can't believe you don't innately understand this. Right? Uh, yeah. Whereas, like, Sasuke, yeah, I mean, he... I mean, yeah, there's part of it where I'm like, yeah, I really respect this lifestyle you're living. And part of it, it's like, man, no, I would like to be able to cook food at home. I would like to be able to have friends mm. at home. And like the lifestyle that you have, you admit isn't perfect for everyone. And it's not perfect for me. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that um, he's doing right. And he makes me want to do right. Well, this goes back to your productive brew about changing the way that you think. And I think... It is from my perspective that this book did a really good job of making you question the way that you think. This book, even for me, let me make this clear. For somebody who's been consuming minimalist content since 2019 March, I rethought a lot of things. And you saw that. You saw that. I got rid of a lot of crap. And I didn't have a lot of stuff to get rid of. <laughs> I just went upstairs and I went... Do I need this chess set? No, I only really play on chess.com. If I'm really upset about doing it, I can buy another one for 15 bucks I haven't used in, in a year. Uh, I really don't know why I have all these spikes from my track career. career. Like, here are some perfect examples. He brings up the point. Things do not retain the memories. And if you get rid of them, you don't lose the memories. I got rid of three pairs of track spikes and I'm like, yeah, I didn't lose my running career. My running career is already over. So, like, me keeping these is whole, wholly arbitrary on my emotional attachment to what I did as a athlete, and these spikes actually don't mean anything. Then I got rid of them. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it, there's already a memory attached to it, and if you're worried about losing that memory, I think one thing that he had as a really nice idea is just take photos of stuff. Take yeah. a photo of it look at the photo even the action of taking that photo i think kind of makes you because I, I did this i had some of my old high school shirts i like went to this camp in high school as you know and um we always got a t-shirt and sometimes i like to wear the t-shirt casually or i used to wear it on runs in high school and i was like i can't get rid of this t-shirt you know it's like a it's a fond memory of going to high school cross-country camp and i took a photo of it because i was going to get rid of it i decided and taking a photo of it, I was like, this feels a little silly. Like, why did I ever hold on to this item? I probably will never look at this photo, but at least I have it, you know, and if I have that memory, if I ever want to look back at it and talk about it or show it to someone, but the action of just like taking a photo and really thinking like, is this as sacred as I've made it out to be? You kind of wake up and realize it's not. It's just a shirt. It's just an item. You can let it go. Now, I completely agree, and I think this is something that people need to think about doing for everything, except everyone's got a binky of some sort from when they were a child. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just get really real on this damn podcast. So essentially, I got rid of like all of those kind of things with emotional attachment outside of 
like a teddy bear or two from when I was a child. There's something emotion. I will never, it was like, can I repurchase this in some shape or form? Yes. Have I not used it in a while? Yes, it's gone. And that was like the spikes. That was all the different clothing uh, that I, that I didn't need from a running perspective. I'm like, will I really run more than three or four days in a week, probably from the rest of my life on now? No. If I need to do that, can I buy more clothes? Yeah. Okay. I'm giving away a lot of shirts. I'm giving away all of my jerseys except for one from each school I attended. I'm getting rid of all of these armbands, wristbands from Loyola that I got, like the sleeves. Remember the sleeves? I never wore the damn sleeves. They look stupid. <laughs> um, on me, at least. And because I was too yoked for that, you little skinny cross country boys. They look terrible and on all of us. They look so bad. And and then I looked at it. I was, gen- I was about to get rid of like these two teddy bears when I was a kid. And I was like, nah. I'm like, honestly, when I hug this thing, it still makes me feel good. So, like, I don't know how or why i'd actually get rid of that because i'm like I, I look at it and i was like i should get rid of this and i'm like could i repurchase it though no and i'm like maybe i'll get there but i haven't yet regretted getting rid of something in my minimalist journey and i was like i think that would be the first thing i'd regret and i don't want to regret any of it because you can't you can't get it's like you can't I don't, you know what I mean? Like, unless you accidentally lose the binky, it genuinely probably would hurt to get rid of the binky. And I'm just saying, it's okay to hold on to your binky. This is my um, validation for myself, but you know. No, I mean, I, I've, I've been thrown away my binky. It's at home. It's, it's still in Cleveland. But when I move, I think I'll move the last of my things from home to Chicago and have like permanently everything out. I'm not throwing that stuff away. I mean, I'm just thinking about, I know exactly where mine is at home, my binky. And I'm like, I'm not getting rid of that. I've had that yeah. thing since I was a little baby. And yeah, my grandparents have fond memories of that. And as do I. And yeah, there's certain things that have that sentimental value. But I think that's also the point that Sasuke brings is, and this is something that I've really has made me think differently about the way that I'm approaching my things is, why do I have so many versions of the same thing? Or why are there so many yes. versions of the same thing in existence? But I like this one so much. You got to pay attention to both of those things. Because if you have a bunch of the same thing, you probably don't need all of them. You don't need duplicates of everything. But if there's one that you really care about, keep that one and really just love that one. You know, it's the same thing when it comes to like yeah. the friends things that he's talking about. You could have a hundred friends, but you can't possibly have a deep conversation with all of them at a party. Like, the, no, t- time is linear. Time is fixed, and you can't just have a you 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 couldn't possibly do that. And so, better to have three friends or three items that you're really deeply attached to, and just use that one item. Like I've, I'm deciding how I'm going to get rid of all my coffee mugs. I'm trying to figure out who to give nice. them to because I have this rat mug and I'm, I'm going to talk about this in a productive brew, but I have this rat mug that I like so much and I had all it these came out today. Oh, it did. That was this one. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I got this rat mug. It used to sit in like the back of my cabinet and I would never use it because I was like, I'm so afraid that it's going to break and I would use all these <laughs> crappy mugs. I got this mug for free. It's white and it's kind of like, um, like a Ray Dunn mug that they like sell at like Marshalls where it just has like the letter C on it and like it's not cute but I would always use it because I was so afraid of breaking something that I actually cared about and if I broke this white mug I'd be like who cares mm. but it's such a waste because now I have other mugs that are just taking up space and I'm not using the things I actually love that white mug brings me no happiness but using my rat mug I'm like yeah this is funny this is good <laughs> Have you ever heard of the function, uh, function, functional aesthetic matrix? Maybe. Go on. No, though. I just made that up off the time. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying to make a word and try to be cool. No, uh, it's it's actually the same. It's in the same vein as what you just said. So I came to the epiphany that. I will only keep things that are functional, but also I enjoy the aesthetic at the same time. So this this applied to hats big time. Like, for example, 
I think decorations for some things are okay, but this this goes back to my uh, IKEA plant on the desk principle, mm-hmm. right? It serves the form function or the the aesthetic function, but it's anchored and stays on my desk because of what it prevents my audio thing from falling while also doing the aesthetic thing (laughs) this rule changes your quantity of things astronomically like for example the thing behind you what is the picture behind you like to your left right now what is that picture oh it's my taylor swift calendar yeah that's dumb um (laughs) (laughs) it's like if i wanted to get hardcore but it's like i'm realized you can decorate parts of your life and rooms with things that are functional. Living room, hats, kitchen, mugs. Both of those things at the same time, you have a variety of mugs that are interesting. It's a decoration, but it's also functional. If you have a variety of hats, it's interesting. It's also functional. I did that with like the different rooms I have and I went, I don't need anything. I was like, this hat, dog water. This hat, dog water. This hat, dog water. Please, <laughs> I'm going to keep. Jerseys and hats are all you need for decoration if you're a sports fan. So you just put them up on the wall? Bro, literally, people hang their hats in places. Just hang them in a row on like a, or like put them on like a little, uh, like, you know, like the wooden, the wooden wall things or like they're like stands. Like put oh, them okay. in a row. That looks dope. Yeah, I like this. Like some functional type of uh storage yes functional storage that also couples is uh a piece of decor what's the uh, sorry um as um yeah as like a decoration is is a time saver or not sorry sorry a space saver and a, a quantity of item saver i mean yes is the taylor swift calendar technically functional you know i'm gonna i tell you off i tell you off this podcast a certain set of choice words about Here's my longstanding joke about Taylor Swift. When's she going to come out with an album called Maybe It's Me? <laughs> um, complaints about men too much. Um, uh, yeah, Harsh. I said that on Airways. I'm, it, it's a fact. I'm just kidding. Uh, so it, I think it's really important. You take the things like the hat as an example, the, the plants as an example. Look around and see like, like lamps. That makes sense to me. A lamp makes sense to me. Why is it there? To light the room. Why is it also there? To make the room look better. Lamp everything, people. You don't need a million decorations that take up space. And if you're going to make them take up space, put them on, use all three dimensions. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing bothers me more than like a big plant in a living room. I'm like, you, you what? How am I supposed to walk around? I don't. <laughs> what? What? What is this? One of those big plants that sprawls out in like every direction. I'm like, but I can't, this entire spot of the room is now, I mean, I'm not saying ruined, but like the functionality of that room just was like shrunk and I don't, I don't really get it. Cause like, why don't you just get less space needed to fill it with arbitrary fake plants? Oh, if it's a fake plant, yeah, get out of my face. If it's a real plant, I, I respect that because you don't need to use all your space, you know? Like, as Sasuke says, the the empty space is just as nice as the things that we fill it with. It's the old Taoist yeah. lesson. Yeah. I also like the, um, this is actually a rule that he had stated. I'm, I'm talking about how I don't like the rules, but then, you know, he actually had a really nice rule. It's uh, His rule is if it's not a hell no, then it's a yes. Mm, yeah, I remember that one. And it's not the other way around where anything you possess and say hell yes to turns into no, don't throw it away because if you frame it that way, you'll never actually get rid of anything. Mm. So I like this. It's like, do I use this thing ever? Hell no. <laughs> When's the <laughs> last time I ever use that? Throw it away? Yeah, yeah, I'll throw it away. This one helped me a lot. I like this. And I think it's it's just so simple. Like sometimes I think that the, some of the lessons can be a little too much and I get that we have to jerk people out of the the consumer mindset. But for me, like I don't need the, the, the shaken baby. I just need like a light tap. 
And sometimes when it's like, hey, when's the last time you touched that thing? It's like, I don't know, long time. So yeah, throw it out. Okay, I can do that. I got to work through a lot of things though. Like I'm thinking about the hats now, man, I've thrown away, I've already thrown away so many things. I got rid of a bunch of bags under my bed. I got rid of some clothes. I've decided I just want to be, I've decided with the clothes thing finally (laughs) is that I just want to be like a character. Like whenever I go to law school now, I'm wearing khakis and a shirt with a collar. Yes. Amen, brother. I wear the the same shoes. I actually need to get a different pair of shoes though because these shoes are just destroying my feet. But I'm going to get a pair of shoes. I'll probably throw out the old pair. And I always wear like a black or brown belt. I have like two pairs of khakis that I wear and like 10 shirts. I just rotate those shirts. And it's been so stress-free just like putting on one of the shirts. I'm like, okay, I look decent enough. Put on a pair of pants that matches the shirt color and belt that matches the shirt color. My shoes always match the color of my pants. Okay, perfect. Now I don't have to worry about anything. And it's decreased, I love it. it's decreased the number of t-shirts I have to wear or own because I don't need as much quote unquote like street wear when I go to class where in undergrad I used to wear like a lot more jeans and shirts tucked in and stuff like that. But now I just have like my business attire or like, you know, my school attire it's kind of businessy and then we'll see what I do in the winter. I'll probably just make some kind of similar reiteration of what I do in the, the warm months and yeah, that'll be it. I think I can really the, cut down a lot of things. I got to buy a couple of shirts, but I'm going to get rid of a lot more shirts. That's dope. I, I had a I had a moment with my dad the other day where... Or my dad the other day where... If you'd like to continue listening to this conversation, you'll need to subscribe at riseproductive.com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app. Once you do, you'll get full-length access to these episodes of the Rise Productive Podcast, as well as access to our subscriber-only podcast and newsletter, The Weekly Pour Over.